Suppose that you were sitting at home and a knock comes to your door. Most of us have to open the door before we discover who is on the other side. And as soon as we open the door, before we even see the person's face, we see the badge, seals rep. And contrary to normal practice, you give time to this person to speak their case and tell you what they want to present. And contrary to normal practice, you begin to think, well, maybe this is a good thing. And contrary to normal practice, you actually sign up for this product that this sales rep is selling. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and today we have a message on soul winning. Turning to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Yes, the great commission of the Christian is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We must never lose sight of that commission, or we may become foolish, wasting our time, and the whole ministry of the gospel loses focus. The vital work of the Christian church is to win a lost, blind, sinful world to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus for salvation. Sinners are dying. Souls need to be won. Stay with us as we turn to this message today from Proverbs chapter 11. And contrary to normal practice, you actually sign up for this product that this sales rep is selling. And uh, after the fact, of course, there's usually buyer's remorse. What was I thinking? After you close the door and the deal is made and your signature's on the dotted line, and then eventually this product arrives. I'll not go to what exactly it is because it could be almost anything. And Lo and behold, it turns out that this product is amazing. It's a life changer. It's the real thing. It's no gimmick at all. And when you use it for a while, you begin to bless the day that that person knocked your door and presented this to you. That is a bit like the work of a missionary because he is really representing the Lord, which is the best good news that we have for a perishing world. But of course, people don't realize it, and they're reluctant to even enter into it. And many say, I don't want to get sucked into some religion, and therefore they are inclined to repel the message. Now, when you discover the true life-changing power of the gospel and realize that this is the creator of the world, the God who has revealed himself all around us, who has given us this book, and then perhaps the greatest gift of all, the gift of his Son. And you learn that God in his great wisdom and grace has a purpose of good for your soul. And when you accept and receive the gift of the Savior, you learn that 
This is refreshing, soul-saving life indeed. And you bless the day that the missionary arrived and began to be tell you the great story of the gospel. Now, we are not a part of that uh, missionary or evangelistic work that runs like a machine. It is slick. It's really taken a leaf out of the business world to try and impress people with various scenarios to try and get them to receive the gospel. What we are interested in is evangelism or missionary work that is biblical. And I want to bring you to this text here in Proverbs 11.30 to show you the link between God's work in the life before he makes you a missionary. It says in this text, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, there has to be a link between part A and part e, B in this text. That's the way Proverbs work. Uh, there's a double stating of the truth, one shining light on the other. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, we are first introduced in the Bible to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. There was the tree of the forbidden fruit. That was the thing that was the no-no, don't touch. And the thing, of course, that got Adam and Eve into trouble by eating a forbidden fruit. But there was the tree of life, the life that would never end, the life that would be blessed, the life that was glorious. I'll just read to you Genesis 2.9. Out of the ground made the Lord grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for fruit. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All oh, that was given for blessing. We also read in Revelation 2, 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit saith unto the churches, let him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. This is salvation, eternal life, life with God, something that every empty heart needs. We're living in a world of misery, a world of emptiness. Suicide abounds. The cavity in man's heart is so wide and deep that really only God and His grace can meet that empty, barren experience. And He offers to every one of us this tree of life. Now, the tree of life is a picture of health, of spiritual delight, and the very happiness of heaven. That will be its peak. That will be its ultimate. But here in this world, Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus, eat of that tree of life. We taste of that which is good for the soul and is a great blessing.
You don't believe me? Let me give you a short quote from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry, I say, is probably the safest, surest Bible commentator that ever was, and probably ever will be. I can stand on it almost word for word in all six volumes, unless you get the one volume that is the concise abridged version with the shortest uh, comments in it. But Mr. Henry said this, there was the tree of life. It was chiefly intended to be a sign and seal to Adam, assuring him of the continuance of life and happiness, even to immortality and everlasting bliss, through the grace and favor of his Maker, upon condition of his perseverance in this state of innocency and obedience. Of this he might eat and live. Then there is that great picture in Psalm 1, that the blessed man is like the tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, there are many things that we could say about this tree and about this life, but our theme today is evangelism. He that winneth souls is wise. But the emphasis of the proverb is that you, the evangelist, the missionary, you need your life to be filled with righteousness. What does it say here? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And you can be that tree of life to those that are perishing. This is about evangelism. This is about God using you and your witness and your testimony to become a life-saving ministry to some soul. Now, we may not all be carried or called to cross the seas or cross the mountains or go anywhere different, but today, tomorrow, you will come across a soul who is empty, hurting, living on the husks of this world, who needs to learn to eat and drink of the tree of life. But you yourself need to be that tree of life to be a witness to them. How can you do that? That's the message. That's what we must look at today. Because there is a lot of evangelism, there is a lot of missionary work that's dead, empty, phony, and perhaps does more harm than good. And so we want to see here from the Bible this proverb, God's way of making you a tree of life to those that are perishing. What does it say here? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. It speaks here of the fruit of the righteous. And I understand this. That's the reward. The reward of the righteous. 
the benefit, the overflow of the life of the righteous man or woman is a tree of life, or is like a tree of life. This is a metaphor. This is a picture that your life, if you are the righteous man or woman, and you are right with God, then your life will bear the fruit and become a wonderful blessing to men. So, first thing today, we need to look at what is this standing in righteousness? What is that? If we don't understand what it is to be righteous, you can never be a missionary. You can never be an evangelist. You can never be a soul winner. You need to understand this gospel of being right with God through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. So we're going to bring the gospel into this text. We're going to have a look at God's way of making men and women and young people righteous. Firstly, it is an objective righteousness. Who is himself, herself, in their hearts, righteous with God? Romans 3.10 answers that. There is none righteous, no, not one. Can you do anything to make yourself righteous? That you will be legally acceptable with God? Again, the answer is a great, huge, big, black no. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none who can make himself pure and holy with God. And so we come to almost a bottomless pit where there is no hope. A bit like the Psalm 40, where the psalmist said that the Lord lifted me out of a, a miry pit. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, that's where you are today. You are in the mire. And you need to learn and discover the way to be right or righteous with God. Now, there's only one person who was perfectly righteous. One person who met the mark, who fulfilled all righteousness all the time, in all the ways, checkmarked all the boxes, and did what was right in the sight of a holy God. Who is that? Do you know him? And here surely is the secret of feeding on the tree of life. It is to know that there was a man born into this world who did no sin, knew no sin, and indeed theology tells us could not sin. It was impossible for this person to commit sin in the sight of God. You know who I'm speaking of, but I want to introduce you to him because I fear someone here today is a stranger to the most unique, the most blessed, the most supernatural person who ever lived on this earth. I think I see even in your eyes the quizzical look. 
Can this be possible? Let me turn you to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15. Here is a text, I suppose, of all texts on the subject of the righteous, pure, sinless life of our Lord Jesus. Yes, it's him. It is our Lord Jesus. And in Matthew 3, verse 15, you have the Lord Jesus at his baptism. And John hesitates and he says, it should be you baptizing me. And the Lord insisted and he said to John, suffer it, allow it. This has to take place. And here's the reason. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Every aspect of the life of Jesus' life was designed that he would live a life that we should have lived. That he would perfectly fulfill every demand of the law and of God that he might become that giver of life to sinners who have broken that law, who could never in their own way ever be right with God. Now this is now a righteousness or a right life lived out by another I don't want to speak in cliches. I don't want to speak in what we call gospel speak, the old, old religion that everybody should know. You might be here today searching to discover the essence of gospel Christianity. Well, the Lord Jesus is that one person who lived the life that you should live and have not. You have miserably failed. All have sinned and come short of God's glory. And he died on the cross, his life being payment for sin, an atoning, sin-covering, cleansing death that he would give to you the gift of perfect righteousness, a package that makes you completely right in the sight of God. This is what we call the objective righteousness. It's not within you. It comes from without you. It's not something made by man, except it is the man Christ Jesus who was God in the flesh. It is not something that you can do tomorrow or do next week. It's not something of turning over a new leaf, living a better life. You are a broken, helpless sinner sinking in the mire of sin and can never save yourself. But there is the gift of righteousness that comes through the Lord Jesus so that by his life, 
his obedience. Now, that's very important. Let's turn to Romans 5, chapter 7, chapter 5, verse 17. The word obedience. Now, we should have obeyed. The Ten Commandments, of course, calls us to keep the law of God and to obey God in all those points, even to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are called to live obedience. Adam in the Garden of Eden was put there to obey God. He didn't. He sinned. He was driven out. We have all sinned in Adam. He can no longer represent us. He can no longer be our head to save us. But there is another person. And we're told here, and you'll see how Adam and the Lord Jesus are compared. They are put side by side, parallel for comparison. And it says in verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. That's what happened to the human race. One man's sin, that's Adam. The whole human race died in him. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So let's get this. If it's possible for the whole human race to be guilty through the act of one, it is also possible that all who believe on God's Son are made righteous by their faith in Him. The Gospel of Mark. This book is the shortest gospel record on the life of our Lord Jesus. It links the past with the present in the opening statement, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then it launches right into a very swift introduction to the good news of Christ's coming. Verse 1 shows his deity the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And there he is an eternal person, divine, coming to be the Savior of men. In verse 2, the history of Christ in the Old Testament prophets is referenced. And that shows the continuity between the old and the new. Verses 3 to 9 gives us a short ministry of John the Baptist until the baptism of the Lord Jesus, when the Holy Spirit descended and fell upon the Lord Jesus. And it tells us straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And that now is the beginning of the ministry of our Lord Jesus here on earth. At that point, Satan appears, and he, uh, the, the Lord is led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we read of those attacks in verses 12, and immediately. And this is one of the favorite words of Mark, 
straightway or immediately. This is a book of action. The Spirit driveth them into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. It was right at that moment that the Lord called the disciples from their boats and their nets to become fishers of men. We read now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. We learn here that this was a divine call. It was at the Lord's initiation. As the sovereign Lord, he had the authority to call his people to serve him in any capacity. It is not ours to seek, nor to refuse the service of the Lord. When the Lord sets a work before us, we must recognize God's calling. Who can refuse? It was also a disruptive call. We are told in the verse 18, and straightway, that means that immediately they forsook their nets and followed him. This required a 24-7 commitment. It brought an end to family business and family ties. It ended a well-tried livelihood. And it is amazing that the Lord has any who serve him at all. Every missionary, minister, church officer, and teacher must face the disruption that the Lord's call brings into their lives. It was also a demanding call. To be fishers of men is above our ability. It is one thing to bring slippery fish to shore for consumption. It is another to bring fallen sinners to repent of the old life of sin and believe the gospel. Just as fish shy away from the net, so sinners run from the gospel. We cannot expect souls to readily run into our ministries without much labor to win them. In fact, we know that without the power of God, it is impossible to convert a soul. That brings us, of course, to the need for prayer and the need for the church prayer meeting. God's people need to cry to the Lord for the power of God the Holy Spirit to attend their efforts to lead men to the Lord Jesus. And I trust that you will be a man or woman of prayer. Give yourself to pray for those souls who you witness to and seek to win for the Lord Jesus Christ. Read here in Mark chapter 1 how it first began. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music.